of you saw this, we have a, a display back on the back wall um, that says Celebrate Recovery. And the reason I want to point that out to you is because I want to make you aware, if you're not aware, that we have this incredible ministry that takes place here every Thursday evening called Celebrate Recovery. And it's probably not a, a name that's, that's new to you. This has been around for a long time. It's a nationally known ministry that has helped hundreds of thousands of people over the last several decades overcome what we call their habits, their hurts, and their hang-ups. And we all have those things. And so we, we have a ministry here that's really in partnership with another church here in Bella Vista called Celebrate Recovery. And, and Northwest Community Church started this ministry a little over a year ago. And it quickly outgrew the facility they had. And so they reached out for us, said, so would you like to partner with us in this ministry? And we had been thinking about starting our own Celebrate Recovery ministry here for a number of years. And, and they had already started one. We thought, well, let, that's definitely, that'd be a great thing for the kingdom. Let's partner up together and do this. And so it took a few months to pull all the details together. But Celebrate Recovery is now meeting every Thursday here. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful ministry that, like I said, has helped so many people. We want to just continue to shine the spotlight light on it. So I'm going to ask you to visit that booth before... Um, before you go home today, pick up some information, talk to our Celebrate Recovery team that's gonna be out there. They'd love to visit with you about what Celebrate Recovery is and all that is involved and how you can be involved and in, in, in all the benefits of it. Now, but before we move on to our text this morning, I wanna show you just a quick two-minute video of some people who are involved in Celebrate Recovery and what that has meant to them. So if you would, would you turn your attention to the screens behind me and watch this very short testimony video of Celebrate Recovery? I realized I was powerless when that shell of the outside world just cracked and broke and there was nothing I could do to fix it. I realized I wasn't God when, despite my best efforts to control every aspect of my life, I couldn't keep everyone safe and I couldn't be perfect. That by myself, I do fail. I realized my life wasn't manageable when my past caught up with me and the most important relationships were damaged, forcing me to lose the illusion of being in control. I realized I mattered to God when He provided such meaningful friendships to me that expressed loyalty and kindness and love. I realized that God had the power to restore me to sanity and help me recover when I stepped out of denial and accepted His love and His grace. I chose to commit all of my life and will to His care and control when God showed me that if I trust Him, I don't have to fear tomorrow because His perfect love will always drive out my fear.
and it'd be a great benefit to you or a loved one of yours to visit our booth back there, uh, grab some information, talk to a few of our leaders, and they'd love to tell you more about it. Hey, if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to continue our series today. And while you're finding that, I'd just like to say thank you to Taylor Duke for preaching last week. I think he did a fantastic job unpacking chapter 4. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that sermon, let me encourage you to go to our website sometime this week and watch it and catch up. He did a really great job. But as we move into chapter five today, there is a word that I would like to hover over our, our assembly today, and that word is family. Family. I want you to lock that in. And the reason why I want to talk about that word a little bit is because I think it's the family context that, that Timothy is receiving this letter from Paul. How many of you have ever heard the phrase that we are, as Christians, the family of God? Have you guys heard that before? That's not unfamiliar. You've probably even heard me say a few times that uh, we are a part of the new life family because Christians are often referred to as the family of God, God's family. So we talk about it in that, in that way. That means that uh, the people sitting around you right now, in fact, I want you to go ahead and look around at everybody around you. Just go ahead and look. Make really uncomfortable eye contact right now, okay? <laughs> look at them real good. Okay, do you see everybody? Okay, have we made eye contact? Good. So you see all the people around you. What this means is we're a family. It means that if the people around you are genuine followers of Jesus Christ, then they are your spiritual brothers and sisters. They are family. Now, I know that in a church our size, it's probably unrealistic to know every single person's name who calls new life their, their home or their family. There is probably a really good chance that you don't even know all the names of the people in your very row right now uh, sharing that with you. I can tell you that I really appreciate how many of you have been patient and gracious with me as I try to remember names and children's names and family connections. It's really hard to remember everybody. Um, I appreciate some of you that remind me like, hey, pastor, it's okay. We only have to remember your name. You've got to remember like 900 names. And so I appreciate the grace you extend to me. Um, uh, you guys know it's craft fair weekend here in Northwest Arkansas, right? Anybody been to some of those yet this weekend? Okay, good, good number of you. My wife and I, we went to one on Friday, one of the local ones, pretty big one. And as we were leaving, my, my wife just kind of mentioned to me, she said, hey, I don't think we ran into anybody from church here. And that's really unusual because when we go to public gatherings like this, we usually run into somebody from, from New Life. In fact, a few weeks ago, we went to the squirrel cook-off, and I think we ran into half the church over there. I don't know what that means exactly. Half the church went to the squirrel festival. Oh, you draw your own conclusion. I don't know. I, I don't know. So yeah, we're squirrely people. That's right. But I just told my wife, I said, you know, there probably were people from New Life there. We just didn't cross paths with them or, or we, we just didn't see them or, or whatnot. Or maybe they saw us and didn't say anything. Consequently, if we cross paths out like in our community, please feel free to come up and yank on my sleeve and say hello and talk to me. I love that stuff. Um, I pretty much pretend that everywhere I go in Bella Vista, people are watching me anyway. And so I just try to live my life that way. I want you to know it's perfectly okay. You can come yank on my sleeve and, and talk. I would love that, and you're, you're not bothering me at all. And um, I, I want to know, in, our, in a church our size, I want to know. I want to know you. And it's, it's tough. It's difficult. It's unrealistic to think that we could all 
know everybody's name here. I mean, we do have four services over two different days. And so you'll probably interact with people all the time out in our community and you have no idea that you are a part of the same church family. But even at that, that does not change the fact that we are still family. We are still brothers and sisters in Christ. And what becomes very clear from our text today in 1 Timothy chapter five is that how we interact as a church family is very important. How we treat one another, how we love on one another, how we care for one another, that is of such great importance. And so much so, you may not even realize this, that as we interact as the, as the family of God, how we do that, do you realize that that right there speaks more about your walk with God than just about anything else? Did you know that? How we interact as a family says more about your walk with God than just about anything else. I could point you to a lot of places in the Bible that, that back that up, but I'll point you to just one. Look at the screen behind me for just a minute. I'm gonna show you 1 John chapter three. This was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples, John. And many years after Jesus had died, he, he wrote this to the church. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. This is 1 John three fourteen. Basically saying when we dip pass from death to life, that's this conversion into faith. It's like we know that the old is gone and the new has come. How do we know this? When we have this great love for one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. In other words, if you don't love one another, it's evidence you haven't changed at all. So it says, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, not literally, but you might have that inside of you. It's like, I hate you. And John's saying, then what evidence is that you're a follower of Jesus? If you've got hate in somebody, like what good is it? And then he says, you know, you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Then in verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I think that's John's way of saying what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. If anyone, verse 17, has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them. In other words, there's nothing in your heart that stirs for that brother or sister in Christ. Then John's question is, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with action and in truth. So the way that we treat one another in this church family is evidently very important. It says more about your walk with God than anything else. Now with that in mind, we come to our text today, 1 Timothy chapter five, and we're gonna start by reading the first couple verses together. Let's do that. This is Paul's instruction to Timothy. He says, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if you would your own father. That word exhort means to urge. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You know what this sounds like? Doesn't it sound a lot like family? Sounds a lot like family to me. These first two verses right here in our text, they teach us this very important truth. And if you're taking notes, this would be a great thing to write down. This is one of the fill in the blanks on your app. It's this, that as a church, we love one another like we are family. We love one another like we are family. 
Now, I could take you back one chapter to chapter four and remind you of something that Paul said to Timothy in his letter. It's found in verse 12 of chapter four. Do you remember? Do you recall? He says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. So what that says to us, we already know that Timothy is a younger man. He's much younger than Paul. He's a young minister, and there are people in the church in Ephesus where he's serving that are quite a bit older than him. There, in fact, there's people of all different ages, and he's giving some, to Timothy some guidance of how to interact with these people. And in that guidance, we also take some lessons of how we interact as a family. So he says, hey, Timothy, the older men in the church, I want you to treat them like your own dad. Now, this is taking into consideration that we are thinking about the perfect family situation, okay? I understand that, that in a church this size, a lot of us come out of what have not been good family situations. But I'm asking you to put on your thinking cap here and say, this is like the perfect family. And let's say you had the perfect dad in your life. And it says, you know what? The older men in church, treat them like that perfect dad. How would you respond to him? And the younger men in the church, you treat them like your own brothers. Some of you are like, my brothers, I pounded on them every day. Well, let's not pound on each other. But this mutual respect kind of thing, the older women in the church, what does he tell Timothy? You treat them like you treat your own godly mother, like she's a saint. You treat the older women in the church that way. And when it comes to the young women in the church, he says, you treat them like your sisters. And he has this qualifier with absolute purity. You treat them with the utmost respect. That's our baseline within our church family. Love one another like they're our family. It doesn't matter um, if you know their name or not. It doesn't matter if you've ever been in the same life group with them or not. It doesn't matter if you've ever served on the same team with them or not. It doesn't matter if you go to the same worship services out of our four or not. This is your new life family, and we are bound together by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And how we interact as this family of God, well, that speaks more about our faith than anything else. Now, as we move on into verse three, you're gonna notice something. Paul's talking about this family here, how we treat, but now for the rest of this chapter, for a good next you know, 13 or 14 verses, he is going to focus on a specific part of our church family. That not only are we supposed to specifically love this part, but, but we are to care for this part unlike any other part of the family that we care about. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about? What within our church family requires a special level of care? Well, let's read about it. Let's look at verse three. He says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now nod your head with me like this if you agree that what we just read is pretty strong and pretty straightforward language. I don't know how this hits your ears when we read them together, but it seems pretty clear to me. 
that Paul is shining a spotlight on a specific group of women within the larger church family that this group of women deserves special attention, and that group is our widows. You know, if you are familiar with the Bible, then you probably already know this, that there is a strong emphasis in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, about caring for the widows among us. If you look at the nation of Israel, which dominates the, the much of the Old Testament, there's a lot of scripture that talk about how that group of people was going to care for the widows among them. In fact, if you have the app open, I listed some of those scriptures for you. Then if you don't have the app open, you can go back and look at them later as you prepare for your life groups this week. But I listed some scriptures from the Old Testament that speak about the widows among God's people and how they are to be treated and respected and cared for. We know that when Jesus walked the earth, he had a special heart for the widows that he encountered. I've listed some scripture there too, where Jesus interacted with different widows and how he felt about them. And then in the church age, when we start like in the book of Acts, there was a special emphasis within the church about widows. Do you remember from our study in the book of Acts a couple of months ago, what was the very first problem that the church encountered in its young life? You get to Acts chapter six and you read about the first problem. What was happening? The widows in the church were being overlooked with the daily distribution of food, you remember? This church cared and loved on these widows that had grown to the point where like, we're not even doing this job and so the answer, they appointed several men, they took care of this issue, they made sure it didn't get neglected any longer and they covered all these needs. There's a strong care component, always has been, in scripture about the widows among the family of God. In the book of James chapter one, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote a letter to the church and we read this. This is what he said. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So as we just start to unpack these first few verses in our chapter, we understand that we as a church family are to love everyone like family. But we also learn this. Number two, we care for those who have no family. If you're taking notes, in fact, that'd be a good thing to write down. As a church, we love those like our own family, like their family. And as a church, we care for those who have no family. Now, I wanna be real honest with you and very just transparent with you that this subject that we're talking about today, that this, this stuff that the text brings up for us in our study, it can be sensitive for Christian women in our church family, both younger and older, who have lost their husbands. You know, as a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I don't, I could, I don't even know how many I've done, to be honest with you. Thankfully, a good number of those funerals have been for Christians who have gone into heaven and they are in, living in the presence of the Lord right now, waiting for the rest of us to get there. And those are the kind of funerals that I don't care. I've done, I've done funerals for non-believers and believers. There's just a different feeling when you lay to rest somebody who loved Jesus. I've done a lot of those. And I've sat with a lot of women who have lost their husbands, even right here in this church. I've sat with women who, who have lost their husbands and I can tell you from my pastoral observation, I've come to this conclusion, that until you've walked in their shoes, you really don't know what it's like to be a widow. And I think that is why in many church families, 
widows are a special group of ladies who oftentimes find great sisterhood among other widows because they've just walked down this road together. They get it together. And what Paul seems to be suggesting in the text, and we're gonna unpack this more in the next few verses, is that this special group of widows within a church, they actually have a special ministry that they fulfill, that they are the only ones within the church who are so uniquely qualified to do. It's an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever really studied this out in scripture. We're gonna do it here. But as we get into this, I, I wanna acknowledge too, not just widows where this can be sensitive, but we, they're also women of great faith who have been abandoned by their husbands in divorce. And you know, my observation is this too, until you've walked in their shoes as well, you really don't know what it's like to find yourself in those circumstances either. I think as a church family, as a, and I use that word, as a family, it would be really good of us if we always are sensitive, if we always have an attitude of understanding to the reality that even right here in our own new life family, there is some real pain and there is some real hurt among the single women and the single moms and the widows of our congregation. And, and no doubt that this text even unpacks and, and reminds of some of the things. And so as a church family, let's just agree, we're gonna be real sensitive to all of these things. So in our text, Paul, he, he highlights or he spotlights the widows in the church there in Ephesus. He makes a special point to bring them to Timothy's attention. More specifically, he singles out widows, did you catch the language, who are really in need. In fact, three times in our chapter, he says that phrase right there, who are really in need, which says to us that there were some widows who were not really in need, that there were varying needs among the widows of the church. So the question that we have to wrestle with today as a church family is how do we understand this teaching of 1 Timothy chapter 5? How, and more importantly, how do we obey this teaching in 1 Timothy 5? This is why I love preaching through books of the Bible like this, because it doesn't allow us to skip the chapters that may be a little bit more challenging to talk about or might be more challenged to understand. That's the benefit of preaching um, this book this way. So how do we obey this? Well, I would say this, and I, I think that it's safe to say, and I, I don't think you would disagree with me on this. I think it's safe to say that the circumstances of being a widow back in Ephesus during Paul's days, well, that's a little bit different than being a widow in the 21st century today here in America. We are, for the most part, by and large, we are living in a very affluent country. And what that affluence has provided for many people is different kinds of insurances, disability insurance, life insurances, 401k, retirement plans, different investment vehicles. Um, there are nursing homes, there are assisted living facilities, there are many different services that focus primarily on care of our older citizens and our widows and widowers. And all those things are very good, and I'm glad we have them for sure. But what those things can also do in a country like ours is that it can skew the church's understanding of what their God-given responsibilities are to its own church family. Do you follow me? 
there's a tendency for us to say, well, we got a program for that. And forget the fact that God has called us to be that. And so as we unpack this, I think it's fair to say that the day that this was written in, it's different than the day that we live in, but that doesn't change the fact that we are mandated by Scripture to care in this certain way. Paul says, care for the widows in your church, those who are really in need. So the question becomes, as we try to obey this, how do we know who the widows are who are really in need? Maybe another way to ask this question would be to phrase it like this. What does Paul say about the widows who are not really in need? How do we understand that? Well, then maybe that's a little easier to understand. It may come to a surprise to you But do you realize that the church is not to be the first line of care for the widows in our family? Who does Paul say is first in line to care for the widows? Who does he say? Family. That's exactly right. Relatives should support their parents and their grandparents. And what does he say in verse four? This pleases God, doesn't he? That when family steps up to care for widows, this pleases God. What else does he say? It says in verse eight that this is a great demonstration of your faith in Jesus Christ. That when you care for the widows in your own family. And then he also says there in our chapter that when family cares for their own widows, that this actually relieves the church and gives them the opportunity to care for the ones that really are in need. So widows then, we can kind of deduce widows that Paul is talking about, the ones who are really in need are the ones who have no family support whatsoever. And in that case, in those severe cases, the church does what? The church becomes the replacement for the blood relatives that they don't have. And I believe that's how Paul is saying this. We talk about needs. Family is the first line of care for widows. But when there is no family, the church becomes the replacement for blood relatives. So the family of God becomes this family that steps in and provides this care. Now, the very next thing Paul says is is even more specific than that. Look at verse nine. He's gonna drill this down even more. He says in verse nine, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60. That's pretty specific, okay? We're gonna, you're tracking with me. We're gonna come back to that in just a minute. So she, nobody's gonna be on a list if she, unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Bottom line, what Paul is pointing out is, if we're gonna talk about widows, let's talk about godly women. That's who he's referring to. Now, faithful to her husband while he was alive, has a good reputation, has been very hospitable. I don't know about you, but doesn't this list of qualities of these widows, doesn't it sound a lot like another list that we read about just two chapters ago? This list of these widows sounds very much like the list of qualifications for church leadership. There's similarities. There seems to be a criteria, if you will, that must be met in order for a widow to be put on this list. Now, many have suggested these older widows had a special ministry within the church. I think that's what Paul is alluding to here. Now, Paul draws the line 
age 60. That's what made sense in Ephesus. I don't feel like we are bound to that age. I don't know about you, but 60 doesn't sound older, does it to you? I, I don't know. I was like, yeah, amen. That's right. I don't know. I read a study just this last week, and there was a group that, that did this study to try to determine at what age is it appropriate to refer to somebody as an older person. You know, this study was done by millennials, but um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm joking. I, I, don't know the, I don't know the age break, breakdown, but if it was up to millennials, we'd be old by 30. But anyway... But according to this study, you guys might find this good news. According to this study, they found to use the word older or old in connection to any person, it would be very inappropriate to use those words before the age of 74. Hey, pretty good, huh? Now, I don't know how they came up with that. I don't know what study, but I think it is true that, um, that uh, you know, what used to be considered older, I don't think should be considered older anymore. People are living longer, healthier lives than we ever have. I, I think there's some flexibility here. But at any rate, what Paul is saying is that, that somewhere there's a line in his mind. There's a line between who would be an older widow and who would be a younger widow. And then he has these qualifications as such. And, you know, I don't think that this is so much the same office as like, like the elder would be, like these qualifications for elder. But there's qualifications nonetheless. If I could just kind of put it in my own words, this is what I think Paul is trying to get to. Paul is calling the older widows of the church. Now, wherever you draw that line, he's like, there's some older widows of the church that I'm calling to maximize their time on earth by serving the church. I really think that's at the heart of what Paul is getting at here. And at the same time, he is calling upon the church to honor this special group of widows and to support them in their commitment to the church. I think Paul is referring to a special godly group of widows who have banded together, um, who are on, in, in his words, a known list, or they're, they're recognized, in other words, that they're able to provide a ministry within the church that no one else is equipped to do because nobody else has lived their life, has the maturity that they do, or, or been through the circumstances that they have. And the church is even, I think you could draw the conclusion, even paying them for this ministry. In other words, we're gonna step in and care for you. You are devoting the rest of your life to the ministry of the kingdom, and we're gonna support you in that. The church is gonna care for you as family. We're gonna step in and be your, like, your blood relatives because you don't have any. And I think there was this relationship here between this incredible group of godly women and the church and, and, and the support that they received. Now, their age and their circumstances and their experiences and their holiness and where they are in the relationship with the Lord, that separated them from what Paul calls younger widows. Now, here's what he says to younger widows. Look down to verse 11. Let's keep reading together. He says, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. And I didn't mean to emphasize that vocally, but I think he's saying, don't put them on any list. They're not going on a list. For when their, and here's why, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense. You know, I understand. Um, sometimes Paul's words can be hard to receive in today's culture. 
It's not me, this is Paul. I'm just reading the inspired word of God. Um, So he says this in verse 14. So I counsel younger widows. Now, interesting change in word. He says, I'm not commanding, I counsel. This is Paul saying, I give advice, I coach. He's not saying you have to do this. It's like, I, I, I advise this. It's a little different language here. So he says, so I counsel, I advise, I coach, I guide younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. In other words, if I could just simplify this, and I encourage you to go and pack this on your own, but I think what Paul is saying is that, you know what, there's a little different guideline, there's a little different rules that I think about when it comes to younger widows versus older widows. So I would say don't put them on a list. This is not the same kind of group of ladies that I'm talking about. Maybe the easiest way to explain this would be, it's like Paul saying, the younger widows in the church, wherever that line gets drawn, he's like, they're not ready yet to be a part of a special group of older godly widows who are sold out to the church who have dedicated the rest of their life to the Lord's ministry. They're not ready for that. There's a potential, if you put them in that group, there's a potential for a split focus. They're at a different place in life, their desires are different, their needs are a little different, they still have things to accomplish in their life that perhaps the older widows would look at and say, been there, done that already. And because of this split focus, Paul is saying, hey, look, if you move them into that special role and they're not ready for it yet, then you know what? One day they might fall in love and get married and want to start another family. They're going to abandon what they said they would be committed to. And he said, that's no good either. They're not ready for that. So Paul encourages these younger widows to remarry, to have more kids if God provides that. He might also be correcting a false doctrine that was in the church. In fact, you can go back and look at this another time, but in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Paul makes mention that there was a false doctrine in the church, and people were teaching the wrong things about marriage. And many Bible scholars have deduced that, you know what? There was probably a lot of single ladies and, and younger widows who were being told they weren't allowed to remarry, and perhaps that led to some promiscuity, some split focus. We're not really sure, but we think that maybe Paul is also correcting false doctrine. He's saying, listen, ladies, it's okay. In God's eyes, if your husband dies, you can remarry. You can be happy. You can go have another life. You can have family. You're at that stage in your life that's perfectly appropriate to do that. And I think that's why Paul says, I advise, I counsel, I coach the younger widows of the church that that's okay. And I think he's correcting false doctrine that was permeating in the church. We come to verse 16. This is the final verse we're gonna read together this morning. He says, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Question for you, have you ever heard a sermon that talked about widows before? I'm gonna be honest with you, I think this is the first one for me. Again, that's why I love preaching through chapters of the Bible because because this is such important teaching for the church that should not be skipped. There's a lot of emphasis in the Bible and I don't believe most church families understand this. And i be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure I fully understood it to this level until we started this series and started studying this at a very intense level. I wonder, what are our takeaways? As the New Life family, 
What do we take away from 1 Timothy chapter five? Well, I have several takeaways. I'll share them with you. My first takeaway is this. It seems very clear in scripture that churches have a clear responsibility to support widows who are devoid of relatives. I think that's a scriptural mandate. I believe that would be a non-negotiable in the scripture. As a church family, because we are family, the widows in our care who are really in need, who are devoid of any family that's taking care of them, the church is to be that family. I believe there's another takeaway for us. We have to understand what needs really are. Paul says there are different needs between younger widows and older widows. Younger widows are, are likely to remarry and their needs are different. But whether the younger widows decide to remarry or not, I don't think there's anything in Scripture says they should or have to do that. But if they do get married or if they don't get married, really is not the point. They must avoid idleness and gossip. There's sins that all of us are susceptible to. It's like, listen, let's not fall into those traps. And then I think another takeaway is for our older widows, should they choose to remarry or not remarry, I don't see specific rules that say you have to do one way or the other. He said, but for those widows who choose to not remarry, then what are you thinking about? What are you considering about the rest of your life? What are you gonna be devoted to? What, what are the things that are gonna fill your world? And I think Paul's encouraging the older widows to give their whole heart and life in servants to our holy God. That there is a special ministry, a sisterhood, if you will, that only widows who have walked in your shoes can do. One of those takeaways, I think, is how are you using your time, the rest of your time? What are you really gonna be sold out for? The church, the gospel, seems to be this incredible relationship that can be had between older widows and the church and support and ministry and God's blessing. And I think one of those takeaways for us is we should really think through the rest of our lives. Another takeaway is this. Do you have any widows in your family and are you, as a family member, caring for them? Paul said that caring for the widows in our own family is the responsibility of blood relatives. And I think it'd be, be uh, sh uh, short-sighted of us to study this text out and not ask that question of ourselves. Who are the widows in our family? And are we stepping up to care for them? Because this kind of ministry, this kind of care within your own family, that pleases God. And I wonder how God feels about caring for the widows in our family where maybe relationships have been broken and it's not all hunky-dory and we still step up and say, I'm gonna please God first and foremost. Verse eight, it talks about how this is your faith into practice, that it's on full display. So I guess the question would be, are you caring for your own widows in your own family? It's your responsibility according to scripture. Then I think one final takeaway is not so much a takeaway, it's just a question that I don't think I fully have a developed answer for. But it's this, how are we doing in the New Life family in this department? I think we need to find out, don't you? Well, as we bring this message to a conclusion, I, I, I pray that the good news of Jesus Christ compels us as a church family to watch out for and care for 
who would be considered the most vulnerable among us. I hope that you don't see the New Life family as just a group of individuals getting together to sing some songs and hear a sermon and go about our lives without any interaction with the rest of our family. I hope that's not how we ever see it. But that we do see ourselves right here in this place as a family of faith who care for one another, who love one another as family, and who have a particular concern especially for the older widows among us who have no family. I hope this passage has challenged you as it has challenged me. I look forward to seeing what God's gonna do with it.